from the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to begin today with a little politics. Unpacking former Detroit Police Chief James Craig's gubernatorial announcement. Were the protests on Bile Isle the story, or were they kind of a trap to build anti-protest support for Craig in other parts of the state? We'll discuss it all with two reporters. And then we're going to discuss the terrible storms this summer, the damage they did to utility infrastructure. Are local utility companies now preparing more adequately for climate change? That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. to be your governor, the governor for the state of Michigan. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. It was once on one of the least surprising announcements in Michigan political history. Former Detroit Police Chief James Craig has made it clear for months that he intends to run for governor as a Republican, and he hopes to challenge Governor Gretchen Whitmer's bid for re-election next November. He's even slipped on to national television by saying he's running for governor before making a choreographed announcement. Well, after an entire summer of anticipation and time for his campaign to plan and decide how he would make that announcement, yesterday was supposed to to be the day. But it didn't quite go as planned. Or did it? Here's what it sounded like when Craig first tried to make the announcement on Belle Isle yesterday morning. So protesters affiliated with the group Detroit Will Breathe swarmed around Craig's podium and chanted over him as he was trying to make his announcement. Now, if you listen really closely, you can hear Craig say in that clip, I am running for governor of the state of Michigan. But you got to listen really, really closely because he was all but drowned out by that group, which has long accused Craig of being heavy handed and using unjust force against protesters as chief of police. And many of those charges have been substantiated. Detroit police were sanctioned for the way in which they responded to uh, the Black Lives Matter protests uh, last summer. So Craig was forced yesterday to switch locations to make his speech announcing his run for governor. And that's where we want to start the conversation Today And we want to hear from you. What do you make of James Craig's bid for governor as a Republican? What's your reaction to his announcement in Detroit yesterday and the protests that almost derailed it completely? Also, what do you think of Craig's tenure as police chief here in the city of Detroit? And do you think he might make a decent governor? As always, you can call us at 313-577-1019 to join the conversation here on Detroit Today, 313-577-1019. You can go to the WDET Facebook page as well and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, I especially want to hear from folks who maybe were part of the protests here in Detroit Last summer, during the pandemic uh, and after the murder of of George Floyd, we had some of the most prolific protests in the country here in Detroit. And the the police uh, played, I think, a pretty controversial role uh, in in uh, the way that they responded to those to those protests. There was no question that there was some uh, very inappropriate behavior, some violent responses by police in some cases. 
uh, th- there was a lot of criticism of James Craig for that. Uh, we would love to hear from people who were witness to what happened uh, last summer uh, to talk about this idea of the person who led that police department deciding that he wants to lead our entire state. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Joining us now to talk about what happened yesterday and what we might be expecting as we get into the campaign for governor here in Michigan in 2022 are two people who have been paying quite a bit of attention to all of this. Chad Livengood is a senior editor for Crane's Detroit Business. He was on Bell Isle yesterday when uh, James Craig tried to make his announcement. Uh, Chad, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And also with us is Bryce Huffman. He's a reporter and producer for Bridge Detroit. Uh, Bryce is one of the people uh, who covered the protests in Detroit uh, last summer in reaction to the murder of George Floyd and saw the interactions between those protesters and uh, police here in Detroit. Bryce, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Okay, we're going to start with you, Chad. You were there for the announcement. Uh, Tell me what happened and what your biggest takeaways were. Yeah, so um, when you hold a campaign kickoff in a public space like a state park, like Belle Isle, uh, you risk the chance that uh, uh, you cannot control the crowd, you cannot control what is said, uh, or who is standing or potentially shouting uh, at your uh, candidate. And that seems to be what uh, James Craig's campaign kind of went for. Um, uh, they, they seem to have wanted this confrontation, um, because lo and behold, within an hour of James Craig being run out of his own campaign event. They were putting out uh, emails to uh, to donors asking for support, saying, "Look at what the leftists did. They sh- they uh, they stormed uh, his podium." Now we should be clear: they did not storm his podium. They were there occupying his space before he even arrived. Um, and so from there, I mean, th- then the uh, campaign decided they. They suddenly had a, a, a second location. Uh, they talked, told reporters, "Don't leave. We might he might come back." And then they told us to go across the river uh, over to the former uh, GM UAW uh, Human Resources Center uh, on the riverfront, uh, a, a office building that is a um, enclosed. Um, secured and has a gated entrance, mm-hmm. and they were checking IDs. And then he still got his sort of backdrop of Detroit press conference on the rooftop of this building. Um, so he got kind of seemingly optics for both. And then um, 8.30 last night, uh, James Craig was on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News. And sure enough, uh, they had um, B-roll of the uh, disruption uh, on Belle Isle being played on a split screen while Tucker Carlson uh, was um, uh, you know, giving some you know, rather softball questions to James Craig. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Chad, in your mind and from your vantage point, was this orchestrated? Was this an attempt to to sort of bait these protesters into being fodder for uh, ads that w- that will be targeted at Michiganders who? don't agree with the aims of Black Lives Matter and who buy into the false narrative. I want to make clear that it is false that uh, these protests in Detroit last last summer were were violent and out of control. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty cynical um, act, if that's true. Do you do you feel like that's what what we were witnessing? It does. It does feel like that. And, uh, and the evidence is that uh, James Craig has already tried to make the protest last summer one of the hallmarks of why he's running for governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has said over and over, Detroit did not burn on my watch, unlike other cities. He's trying to, trying to you know, uh, compare uh, the sort of looting we saw uh, that happened in protests in like Portland uh, compared to Detroit. Uh, which is not a complete accurate betrayal of, of what actually transpired in Detroit, but he's trying to, that's what he's 
trying to burnish this law and order image. And and by having a confrontation yesterday, uh, he got uh, he got that, and it was very evident just based on those that email that went out and that uh, that B roll that ended up on Fox News that they wanted this. This was not a campaign kickoff to. Uh, necessarily uh, appease the media or or appeal to Detroiters. Um, this was, uh, as, as one Republican uh, operative kind of noted, this was meant to um, to appeal to a voter in Shelby Township, mm. um, a Republican primary voter, and, and he's in a primary of nine other people already, nine people total, and and uh, and, and he's he's the most prominent name in the in the in the mix. At this point, but uh, he's going to—he's still going to have a primary, and so he needs to uh, to appeal to a pretty narrow segment of the of the electorate uh, who li- who live in the Shelby townships, the exurbs of Detroit, and the exurbs of Grand Rapids. Those folks uh, decide Republican primaries in the state. Hmm. Uh, Bryce, I want to bring you into the conversation here and have you talk about uh, Chief Craig and his relationship to not only protesters like the ones we saw on Belle Isle yesterday in Detroit, but also uh, to Detroit citizens. He'd been police chief for uh, uh, quite some time, uh, and that relationship is pretty complicated. Uh, so I wonder what you make of his decision uh, to make his announcement here in Detroit among Detroiters and the backlash that we saw to it yesterday on Belle Isle. Yeah, so when I heard that he was announcing on Belle Isle, I wasn't surprised to see protesters quickly organizing and trying to figure out ways to disrupt his announcement. Because, uh, as you said, he spent a large majority of last summer demonizing the Black Lives Matter protest movements in other cities and in Detroit. So I think his appeal is not to most Detroiters, um, but there certainly are some who are fans of his. Remember, he was a police chief here for eight years. There's a lot of Detroiters who, um, typically older Detroiters, um, Detroiters who vote often. Um, those are the Detroiters, uh, a lot of the times, who like Chief Craig, like what he stood for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was often very vocal in speaking out against um, criminals and people who, uh, even if they're not exactly criminals, younger Detroiters who um, can be a bit of a nuisance for older Detroiters. Uh, So his appeal in Detroit is to um, older, more socially conservative Detroiters, people who um, might not be fans of what they saw last year with uh, the 100 plus days of protesting, Hmm. people who would themselves never... Uh, say they're anti-Black Lives Matter, but people who, um, through their words and actions, uh, in my experience, very much so have problems with how uh, um, younger people choose to voice their opinions, specifically about police. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and going forward, Bryce, what do you think of Chief Craig's prospects and I guess approach to to the city of Detroit. He is a he is a Detroiter, uh, someone who started his career as a police officer here in in Detroit, and then uh, over time went and did some other things and came back to be the police chief. We, we saw Donald Trump get uh, many more votes in the city of Detroit in 2020 than he had before in 2016. He also got more votes than Mitt Romney or John McCain had uh, in, in presidential elections before. Uh, is is it possible for Craig, I guess, to ride those kind of coattails with this kind of with this kind of message and and get Detroiters to support him in ways that they have not supported other Republicans before Donald Trump? Yeah, I think there's two things that uh, I like to point out here. Uh, The first is that Chief Craig is not John James, right? Like he is uh, someone who was very vocal in Detroit, uh, very, you could see him everywhere in Detroit long before he ever really talked about his politics vocally. Um, So that gives him a, a big advantage. He had built relationships with lots of Detroiters who didn't necessarily know that he voted for Donald Trump twice or didn't necessarily know 
that last year he was going to appear on Fox News every other week. Um, so that's one thing. And the second is, as you pointed out, with Donald Trump getting way more votes in Detroit than previous Republicans, or even more than he got in 2016, uh, Detroiters are more conservative than I think a lot of people uh, are willing to give them credit for, so to speak. Um, you know, if you ask a lot of older uh, Detroiters who vote consistently about their views of politics, you know, they're gonna you're they're gonna slant much more conservative than you might suspect for a city that's 80% black. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's lots of different reasons for that. But at the end of the day, Chief Craig has the chance to really capitalize on uh, black people who are not satisfied with voting for Democrats. Um, whether it be for factual reasons or emotional reasons is kind of irrelevant when you get down to the voting booth. Um, so I think he does have a chance to steal a lot of Detroit votes away um, in the governor's race, but I don't necessarily know if he will have enough Detroit votes to take out Whitmer. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about James Craig's announcement that he is running for governor, the formal announcement yesterday. We'll talk about the reaction to it. We'll also hear from you, the listeners, about what you think about James Craig running for uh, governor. Brian in Dearborn, Trey in Detroit, Dennis in Macomb, you're up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we'll make you part of the program that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Chad Livengood. He's a senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business. Also with us is Bryce Huffman, a reporter and producer for Bridge Detroit. We're talking about James Craig, former police chief here in Detroit, and his announcement yesterday, his formal announcement, that he will run for governor or seek to run for governor against uh, Gretchen Whitmer, who will stand for re-election next year. Uh, James Craig will have to clear a pretty crowded primary on the Republican side, but he is certainly the most well-known candidate so far to announce his interest. He made his announcement yesterday, and there was a very vocal response uh, on Belle Isle in the spot where he had decided to make this announcement. Uh, He is now raising money, really, off of that response, sort of trying to point out that uh, he was the firewall here in Detroit between, quote-unquote, violent protesters uh, and the citizens. Uh, We want to know what you think about uh, his announcement, the way it went, uh, the way the protests against his announcement went, what they said, whether that resonates with you. Also, what you think about James Craig as a potential gubernatorial candidate. Is he somebody that you think uh, could really challenge Gretchen Whitmer next uh, year? Is he somebody that you might vote for? especially want to hear from you if you live in the city of Detroit and are considering voting for James Craig for governor next year. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, the GOP is trying to get more black folks to join their team. They aren't all bad, but the individuals they're choosing to add to their ranks have token written all over them. I hope that Craig does well by the people, but I have reservations. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Trey in Detroit. Trey, what's uh, on your mind? Well, I'm bothered by the, the fraud that Craig is trying to pull. Everybody who's really paying attention knows that a couple of decades ago, Dennis Archer arranged for the Justice Department to give the professionalism to the Detroit Police Department that we've been experiencing experiencing since that time. Uh, Craig had nothing to do with that, obviously. He's riding on some of the benefit of it, except now it's been long enough that it started to wear off, and you're starting to see some of the unfortunate behavior, such as that last police shooting, where you had officers running down the street shooting past each other uh, like they're making a cowboy movie without the horses. Mm. 
Um, it's 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 an absurd notion, and um, he has uh, he has no business uh, considering advancing to something outside his own field when he hasn't learned to uh, really control the people who are under his direction now. Hmm. now Trey, I really appreciate. Uh, the call, and especially that historical perspective on why policing changed here in Detroit. You're right, it was under the Archer administration that the uh, that the federal government decided to get involved in trying to alter the way that police were trained here. A lot didn't happen for a long time uh, during that oversight while Kwame Kilpatrick was uh, mayor. But when Dave Bing uh, took over, one of the things that he really accomplished in the short time that he was uh, mayor was getting all of that wrapped up and setting policing in Detroit on a, on a really different path. Um, and, and so you're right that James Craig inherited all of that. He did not, uh, he did not create it. Uh, thanks again for the, the call and the insight. Uh, let's go to Brian in Dearborn. Brian, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, Steve, this is uh, this is Brian over in Dearborn, mm-hmm. and I was a, a a journalist during the the protests last summer mm-hmm. and covered what was happening in Dearborn, and um, it's really it's really surprising to me that the press has not been harder on Craig for the fact that uh, under his leadership, the several journalists were beaten handcuffed and arrested. Some were shot with pellets by Detroit police officers. And that was after the press had confirmed with DPD that the curfews that they had placed uh, at that time would not be affecting them, Mm -hmm. that they would be allowed to do their job freely. And so I think that it's really important to remind everyone that under his leadership, uh, the Detroit Police Department wasn't just brutally suppressing protests and establishing curfews that I think have proven to be more of a cause of rioting than a preventer of it. But the fact is, is he went after journalists. Hmm. And that's a step towards totalitarianism, you know, and he's never apologized that I've seen. He's never put out any statement saying, you know, this isn't our values. They just it, to me, it's inexplicable, mm. and and it's unforgivable. Uh, Brian, and, I yeah, Brian, well, I, yeah. I I really appreciate the call and that perspective. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who don't know from the journalist perspective what that was like to be out there with the protesters and the police trying to tell the story of what was going on. And and no question, uh, there were things that happened that seemed wildly inappropriate. Uh, during that. Uh, Bryce, I, I want to bring you back into the conversation here. You were one of the journalists out in the streets last uh, last summer covering the protests. I wonder what your reaction is to what Brian's talking about, and if you can give us a, uh, a fuller sense of what the relationship was, again, between police and citizens, police and journalists, uh, while all of that was happening. Yeah, so at first, obviously, you know, I, I feel for all the journalists who uh, were prevented from doing their jobs, were uh, harassed, were, uh, you know, met with unnecessary force just in the pursuit of truth, fairness, and accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when I was covering these protests, I saw a lot of Detroit police officers treating these protesters with, you know, a large amount of disrespect, um, pushing them around, calling them names. Um, doing things that the police department never really apologized for. They, in fact, uh, while Craig was the chief, more or less doubled down on the unnecessary force they were meeting protesters with. At one point, um, and I wasn't at this particular protest, but a a cop vehicle ran uh, through a crowd of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I should explain for people who are hearing this for the first time, maybe, um, the cop was parked there were people crowded around chanting and the car then drove through and, you know, dragged a few protesters on the car before they fell off. Um, and instead of 
saying, yeah, that's not what we stand for. That's not what we do here. Chief Craig and Mayor Duggan both, you know, kind of shrugged and said, well, what, what should we have done instead? You know, they pretended that this was fine, that this was normal. So, you know, when you hear Chief Craig talk about um, keeping the city from burning, you know, making sure we didn't fall into chaos like Portland, um, you know, you, you can only take that with a grain of salt. It's mm-hmm. just simply not how things went down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Brian, I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate your call and uh, your perspective. Uh, Patrick on Twitter says Belle Isle is a state park. We go to there to relax and enjoy the outdoors. Craig choosing that site is psycho. It's a state park. Take your circus somewhere else. I live in Detroit and play softball in Belle Isle. Get out of Gretchen's way. Uh, Aaron on Twitter says uh, the audio and visual of the protesters on Belle Isle will be fodder for the GOP and the audio of Craig admitting that he had no evidence that they were paid and being asked if that is how he served in office will be fodder for the left. It is uh, a push. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Dennis in Macomb. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi, Dennis. Hey. Go ahead. Yes, I'd like to uh, thank you for letting me let me put my vote voice out here uh-huh. and i i think chief craig and the the rest of the police officers in this fine country of ours need to uphold their oath to the first amendment for us as citizens to be able to peacefully protest our government but trying to get maybe in his head what he was thinking after seeing what happened happened in portland and seattle maybe he thought he didn't want that to happen in detroit mm. which doesn't justify his over you know, his abuse of the citizenry. But if the citizenry turns violent, they have to do what they have to do to to retain order. Um, but to come off and initiate violence is totally against mm. what, I, they, what they should be doing. Yeah. Dennis, really appreciate uh, uh, really appreciate the, the call and the perspective there. Uh, Chad, I want to get before we have to break to some of the substance of James Craig's message and how well that message might be resonating with people outside the city of Detroit, where, of course, I think his campaign uh, will be focused. Uh, one of the things he said yesterday was that he doesn't support uh, mask mandates and 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 things like that, that he thinks, for instance, in schools, that parents should be making those kinds of decisions. He also criticized Governor Gretchen Whitmer for not fixing the roads, which I thought was a particularly targeted criticism. Of course, she ran uh, three years ago saying that she was going to fix the roads. It was almost uh, the sole message of her campaign. Um, he's saying that that hasn't been done. But then you asked him what his plan was for improving infrastructure. And I thought he had a really interesting and possibly contradictory response to that. Yeah, his response was, uh, it's uh, not uh, one of his priorities, but I do think the roads need to get fixed, which is a really curious way of saying um, I'm not, roads are not, not on my agenda, basically. Um, which, uh, which, which was, you know, we'll see how that really plays, uh, both in a primary and I don't think it'll play well in a general election, um, particularly in Southeast Michigan, particularly in Oakland, uh, county, Western Wayne County and, um, and Macomb County, where we have, uh, some of the worst infrastructure crumbling roads in America right now. Mm. Uh, what about the other parts of his of, of his message? Uh, what, what what kind of candidate are we seeing him emerge to be in in this field? Yeah, he's he's clearly trying to um, uh, make this about him and Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, he doesn't quite really have um, a, a very defined race yet in the primary. Uh, Tudor Dixon, uh, this um, uh, Republican uh, conservative uh, talk show host from West Michigan, she has uh, lined up some pretty good uh, and well-known uh, political operatives to work on her campaign. She seems to have the most viable uh, candidacy so far to, to challenge James Craig. Because at this point, this is James Craig's primary to lose. 
Um, but, yeah, you see his messaging really kind of focusing on what's hot with Republicans right now, mass mandates, uh, the vaccine mandates. He, he, he name-dropped uh, natural immunity um, uh, as, as an issue why, you know, kind of taking up uh, the uh, mantle, the drumbeat that uh, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky has been kind of uh, uh, leading for quite a while, uh, just calling into question the science. Uh, he kept, you know, kept saying, and these, these are tested messages that Governor Whitmer has been practicing political science, not actual science, throughout the pandemic. So the, he was clearly um, uh, giving a, a stump speech that was aimed at, and like I said, narrow uh, Republican uh, uh, voter that that voter in Shelby Macomb Township, um, who who they're trying to you know appeal both on the. The uh, the um, you know I I was tough in Detroit uh, uh, side, but also um, you know speaking to some of the uh, the hot issues on the right right now. Hmm. Okay, uh, Chad Livengood and Bryce Huffman. It is always great to talk with uh, the two of you. Thanks so much for being here to tell us about James Craig's big day here in Detroit. Thanks for having Thanks me on. Okay, when we're going to take another quick break and we come back, we're going to hear from the chair of the Michigan Public Service Commission about its look into how our local utilities are responding to more frequent storms and outages. We've been talking for weeks about how crazy this summer has been with the intensity and frequency of the storms and the consequences uh, with regard to electricity and plumbing and water being all over the place. We're going to have a conversation about whether we should be expecting more of that chaos or whether the utilities are really pivoting to be able to address these things in a different way. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. <clears throat> this summer has brought with it some of the worst weather events we have ever seen in Michigan. Catastrophic flooding events and severe storms destroyed property and led to widespread outages. People in a lot of areas of southeast Michigan are now afraid every single time it rains that they're going to have water in their basements or that they're going to lose power and internet access. The very real and growing threat of climate change is here. It is playing out right before our eyes, and it seems to have caught Michigan utilities flat-footed despite years of warnings that our infrastructure is just not prepared for this kind of weather. Now, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel and the Michigan Public Service Commission are both investigating utilities' resilience measures to make sure they're doing the things necessary to prevent these issues from repeating in the future. The MPSC's job is to regulate our public utilities, such as DTE and consumers. And the chair of that commission joins me now to talk about this inquest and what needs to happen to keep the lights on in the era of climate change. I want to welcome to Detroit Today, Dan Scripps, who is chair of the Michigan Public Service Commission, which regulates our utilities. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Great to be on. So walk us through how this summer has stacked up to years past in terms of the number of outages and how severe they have been. I think anybody who lives here can tell you it has been a, a crazy summer and it seems like things are worse than they have been in the past. But what does the data tell us? Yeah, it doesn't just seem like things are worse. This has been really relentless in a lot of ways. The the number of storms, the frequency, the, the, the sort of limited gaps between the storms. Um, I saw something from DTE that in a typical so storm season, they get about three weeks between storms uh, over the summer months. This summer, they've had between five and six days. And, uh, and you know, the outages reflect uh, that it's been 
it's been a tough summer, but but as you said in the intro, I, I think this may be the new normal uh, in an era of climate change, that we are facing increasing severe weather, uh, that the weather is going to be more severe, and severe weather is going to be more frequent, and we've got to make sure that our, our infrastructure is up to the task. Mm. So let's before we talk about how they can do that, how they can do better than what they're doing, what are the biggest factors that are causing these outages? What are the things that are not up to par in terms of the way that we're prepared to deal with these things? You know, the number one uh, cause of outages in Michigan is is vegetation, is trees. And um, and that really gets to the, the sort of blocking and tackling uh, of, of distribution um, maintenance. That it, It's not fancy. It's not rocket science. It's just you've got to get out and make sure that the trees are trimmed. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's one of the areas that, that sometimes gets overlooked or, or skipped over in, in utility budgets. And so a couple of years ago, we, we really tried to say, we're, we're going to let you recover the, the money that you spend, but we don't want you rating that budget for other things. You've got to go out and you've got to tre- trim the trees. You've got to make sure that you're, you're getting your, your cycles closer together. It can't be 20 years between tree trim cycles. Uh, and so DTE, to their credit, has, has been moving in the right direction on this in the last couple of years. Uh, they're, they're shortening the cycle, and, and the evidence is where they've done the tree trimming in their system, uh, those, those circuits, those areas are, are performing much better. But, but this summer has showed that we've got we've to do more and we've got to do it faster. Uh, and we just can't, we can't let up. Mm. So let's talk about the solutions here. I, I, and I want to talk about them in terms of two categories. One, the things that could be done right now by utilities to, to make sure that things aren't as uh, catastrophic, I guess. The consequences aren't as catastrophic as, as they have been this summer. But then the things I also want to talk about, uh, the, the things that we should be preparing for long term, the, the, the big picture changes that we probably are going to have to, to wrap our minds around at this point to make sure that five or ten years from now, uh, we're not even further behind. Let's start with the short term. Yeah, you've, you've asked the question that, that I, I think I wake up every morning thinking about and go to bed every night thinking about. <laughs> but in the short term, it, it is, I think, a, a lot more tree trimming and, and grid hardening. You know, I give DTE credit after we initiated our, our investigation, I think, in response to the request for or the letter that they received from the governor and, and what the attorney general is doing in this front. They announced that $70 million of, of shareholder dollars, not customer uh, dollars they were going to put into additional tree trimming over the next couple of years, including I think somewhere north of fifteen million dollars between now and the the end of the year. But that's the right step. And and when I say we need to do more and we've got to do it faster, I think it's that sort of thing that we're looking for, uh, and, and that's going to be important. I think you know the the neighborhoods and communities that see that uh, increase above already the surge in tree trimming are going to be better positioned in the short term. But you're exactly right in terms of the long-term question. And, and when you look at the, the circuits, a lot of our circuits are, are overloaded, are at capacity. Uh, we are sort of pushing the, the grid to, to its limits at this point. And that's before we plug in an increasing number of electric vehicles. That's before some of the other things that we, we really know that we're going to need to rely on the grid for are in place. And so I, I think this summer hopefully is a wake-up call that, that we've got to to go further faster in terms of the the grid uh, supports that are going to be necessary for the future that we know is coming. Mm. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. I'm talking with Dan Scripps, who's chair of the Michigan Public Service Commission, which regulates our public utilities here in Michigan. We're talking about how Michigan utilities are reacting to this summer of severe weather events uh, and pretty harsh consequences for those of us, especially here in southeast uh, in Southeast Michigan. We're talking about what needs to be done differently. And I also want to talk about whether we as citizens are ready to do some of the things that we probably need to change ourselves or approach things uh, really differently in terms of how we deal with uh, the climate, how we adapt to the change in weather patterns 
uh, I, I doubt that we're going to be able to just live our lives the way we have uh, and not not worry about all these things. As always, again, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we can we can include you in the show that way. Let's go to John in Jefferson Chalmers. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. So 9 o'clock last night, almost on the dot, the power went out in Jefferson Chalmers. It did. Put back on twice, and then it's still out now. We have nothing in the outage uh, for any kind of promises, and now we have people starting to instigate on next door, saying, oh, gross point's getting fixed before us. We'll get it Friday, which is none of it, I believe. Uh, but the, we're not getting anything from DTE, so the rumors are spreading. Hmm. So, so John... You, I, you know, I live in the city as well. Uh, there, there was a storm here yesterday. I didn't lose power, and I haven't lost power. I think it's really important to note that there are some parts of the city where this is happening over and over and over again. And and you live in in one of those spaces. Can you talk, John, just a bit about how frequent this has been this summer? Um, well, I think this is our third one, but I was out of town quite a bit, so I don't even know, but based on what I, how I found my blueberries in the freezer when I came home, I'm pretty sure the power was out. Mm-hmm. And it's just a hit and miss. You, you don't hardly want to keep stuff in your, in your freezer here. Yeah. Yeah. John, uh, I hope, of course, that they get your power back on quickly, uh, but I really appreciate your calling and telling us about what's what's going on there. Uh, Dan Scripps, what's the, what's the relief that's available for someone like John or someone who lives in that in, in an area where this has just been repetitive over the summer, uh, not, uh, not incidental? Yeah, we've got two things that are in our rules today. Uh, one is for, for people who are experiencing long outages, you may be eligible for a credit. It depends on the number of other customers that are out sometimes, Uh, but you can contact your utility to see if you're eligible for a credit. And if you think that you are eligible and are not getting the response that you you think you deserve, you can call our complaint hotline uh, at the commission or or go online. It's michigan.gov slash MPSC. And you can file a complaint. Uh, our, Our customer assistance folks are fabulous and can help track that down. So that's for the the length of the outage. But we also have a separate credit uh, for folks like John who have had a number of outages over the course of a year. And, and, you know, Jefferson Chalmers, we've heard about. We've heard about Farmington. There's a number of places where uh, where the number of outages is is really significant. And, you know, sometimes it's blueberries, but sometimes it's, you know, the ability to keep your oxygen going or the medications that you've got in your fridge and, these are more than sort of inconveniences for an awful lot of people. So credits are available uh, in that regard as well. But the other thing that we're doing, and that's, that's what's available today, but the governor's also called on us to accelerate uh, some rule updates that we're making around service quality rules where those credits are housed. And we are in the process of, of starting the rulemaking process where those credits, instead of having to ask for them, would be automatic, increasing the the. Uh, amount of the credit from 25 to 35 dollars indexing it to inflation so it doesn't fall further behind and then also tying the amount of the credit for the for the extent of the outage that a nine-hour outage is different than a two-day outage and uh, particularly for folks who have freezers full of food or or are relying on on their power for for medical and and safety reasons that those are things that are front of mind for us as, as we're thinking about what those credits need to look like in the future. Mm -hmm. So, so in an area like John's over on the East side, obviously the part of the issue is, is vegetation and, you know, overgrown parts of the city where, um, where power lines are, are vulnerable to that kind of thing. One of the things that, that keeps coming up is the idea of burying those power lines, which, of course, is a very expensive proposition, but it, it does seem like that should be one of the things that DTE is pressured to do over time. Can you talk about uh, solutions like that, major changes to the infrastructure 
that would make these things less frequent and less catastrophic and whether those are on the table uh, in, in these discussions that you even have with, uh, with the utilities? Yeah, I, I think everything needs to be on the table at this point. I mean, the, the level of performance isn't where we need it to be. Uh, so we've asked, we had a special meeting on outages last month and put out an order that did a number of things. But to your specific point, one of the things is to ask for information on the costs and overall benefits and payback periods uh, of undergrounding more sections of our electric infrastructure. We've got some lines that are already underground, but looking at whether that's the right option. And, and it's, as you say, it is expensive. Um, and so we want to make sure that, that it's actually worth the additional dollars as opposed to putting those dollars into more tree trimming or more grid hardening. Uh, and, and there are also issues where when outages happen with flooding, for example, for underground lines, it, it can take a lot longer to get the, those services restored. And as you mentioned in the lead-in, flooding is also an issue. So we're trying to look at, at, at this from all sorts of different angles, whether the, the cost and the long-term benefits are, are worth it for customers, and also what are some of the other issues that we also need to be thinking about as we go down that path. But everything's got to be on the table, and, and that's one issue in particular that we're, we're asking for more information on. Hmm. Uh, let's go to Linda on the east side. Linda, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Linda. Hi. Um, I'm on the east side, and I'd like to have the caller address the issue of tree trimming. Hmm. I have huge trees in my yard. I've called DTE to get um, tree trimming assessment. Um, I was waiting. I found out that from the street without coming into the yard, they assessed that my tree was not touching a wire or was not um, harmful. In any event, I called them back and I said, I am underneath the wire. You have to come into the yard. You'll see that if there's a strong wind, these branches can fall any time on the wiring. Hmm. My question is, if they make a determination that it's not threatening, uh, and it's not going to ultimately uh, touch a wire, even though a strong wind, I've got huge, huge branches. I've been told that it's going to be several thousand dollars to do any of the tree trimming. Hmm. And I don't have the money. Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of maintenance going on around here, and I am attempting to do the right thing. But I guess I'm trying to find out what resources are out there for people who want to do the tree trimming, but literally you have somebody go up in a tree, especially as it's high, it's three, $4,000. Sure. No, it's very, very expensive, uh, Linda. And hey, I can actually relate. I have the same dilemma at my house uh, this, this year and this fall, uh, a tree that I think may need to, to, to come down uh, because, it's, because it's dangerous. Uh, what's the answer uh, Dan, for people who can't afford to take a tree down, but DTE has determined that it's not enough of a threat for them to deal with it. Well, I mean, I, I think there are challenges there, um, and and sometimes they, you know, are are going to say it's it's not yet on on our cycle. This isn't where we need to prioritize the the dollars that we do have available for this. I will say though, if if the caller or the others who are listening in sort of have concerns about that, feel like they're not getting the right information from their utility provider, uh, I mentioned that you can go online at michigan.gov slash MPSC and connect with our customer assistance uh, division, um, either for formal or informal complaints on that. Often it's, it's a chance to get another set of eyes on the issue. And we also have a toll-free number, which is 800-292-9555. Uh, where customers can can call and and again we'll they'll talk with one of our customer assistance representatives who who have you know lines of communication into the utilities as well whether it turns into a formal complaint or just a, a chance of of getting another set of eyes on that particular issue and see what can be done uh, it, it's one of the things that that we're we're there and we want to help. Mm. Uh, again, Linda, good luck with uh, the decisions that you need to make about the, that tree, and I hope that you do get. Uh, some help before it falls and uh, damages power lines or even worse, you know, damages property uh, or, or becomes a, a health risk for someone. Uh, ben in Rochester Hills, you're up next. Ben, I've got about a minute and a half left, but I want to get you in here. Cool. 
Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Ben. Hi. Uh, yeah. My own. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. So um, I'm here in Rochester Hills, uh, and last week when that storm came through, um, sounded like some kid was lighting off fireworks, and the lightning storm had gotten real bad. Uh, a tree, either a line came down or a branch had fallen across it, and for about an hour it was barking and arcing and all that stuff and i called 911 dt's website sucks and you can't find where you want to call there um and uh, eventually it stopped on its own without anybody coming out after about an hour uh but the uh next day um they had the only thing they had done is put some tape around on it they didn't trim trim any trees and and later in the day it started arcing again, started going crazy, and uh, yeah, did that for about a half hour. Ben, I don't want to cut yeah. you off, but I want to get uh, Dan Scripps to be able to answer. Uh, Dan, is DT just overwhelmed? And should we be pressuring them to have more people available to respond to situations like Ben is talking about? I've only got about 30 seconds, but I want to give you a chance to talk about that. Yeah, we, we've got to do better. And in the order that we issued last month, we specifically wanted to highlight the, the utility communication uh, procedures because I, I think there's room for improvement there as well, as well as the um, sort of wire down an emergency response, which is part of the, the rules that we're doing, trying to tighten up those standards, make sure they're getting to them faster uh, because these are you know acute public safety concerns and we've seen the tragic consequences so for for listeners please stay back i think calling 911 is the right path and then at the commission we're we're looking at what we can do to make sure that that we're we're taking care of the problem okay uh, dan scripps of the michigan public service commission great to have you here to help us with this information thanks for coming on the show thanks Stephen. great to be with you this is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. That'll do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow and hope you will too.